0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. This is uh, last week of the semester, last week of chapels. Later this week we're going to try to be outside and then we have a wrap-up chapel on Friday as well. Today I have an opportunity to bring to a close the series from the semester and on the Habit of Virtues. And I want to conclude in a little different way. I was thinking originally that I might uh, spend the last session talking about the theological virtues. We talked about the cardinal virtues, uh, wisdom, temperance, justice, and fortitude. And uh, C.S. Lewis, when he wrote on the virtues, talked about the cardinal virtues. He talked about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. But I've been wrestling a little bit this week with the virtues and in some conversations with a few of you about um, the difficult task of forming these virtues as habits, the difficult task of becoming a person who is habitually wise, habitually temperate, habitually just, and habitually courageous. I was thinking, well, it would be important to talk about the theological virtues, because without the theological virtues, the cardinal virtues are useless. Without faith in God, in his Son, Jesus Christ, our wisdom is fleeting, our courage is misplaced, and our justice is built upon society's norms and standards rather than God's. And temperance is... waste of time. Without the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, there's little reason to suspect that the virtues will make any difference in this world or in our lives. And without love, we will carry out the virtuous life for our own ends and our own means. So the theological virtues are absolutely critical to living a life of virtue, a life of character, to be a person who is committed to wisdom and temperance, and justice, and fortitude. You must also, for us as Christians, be people of faith, and hope, and love. Remembering in all of this that these three things remain, but the greatest of these is love. It's a very interesting thing to consider, the messages all semester, about the habitual life of virtue being rooted in this idea of love and other-oriented commitment that we see pictured in God's love for us and the sacrificing of his Son for our salvation. And in this passage in 1 Corinthians, which is so familiar to us, it is this sort of other-oriented perspective of love that Paul is driving at, a church that is off the tracks and divided, reminding them that love is not selfish, it does not envy, it does not seek its own. So to think about Lewis's... Uh, idea that faith and hope and love are theological virtues that must be conjoined to the cardinal virtues and that they're the foundation of the cardinal virtues really being lived out in a way that helps us make better sense of this world and to be better participants in this world. I was thinking about closing with that idea that these theological virtues are absolutely essential. Then I was reading the passage, the entire passage through this week over And over and over again. And there's a phrase in here that just kept clicking in my head that I wanted to share with you because I think that it's important. In some conversations with students over the last few weeks on this issue of what it takes to form the habits of virtue, remember we said, just think about the habits of life, right? Good habits are hard to acquire and easy to break. Bad habits are easy to acquire and hard to break. And all of this in the context of sort of thinking about who we are as individuals. And remember, we said all along that these virtues are not things that we employ for our own gain. They're actually supposed to be an outworking of our central convictions. There's a phrase in this passage that just kept clicking in my head over and over again, where the Apostle Paul says this, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. These three, but the greatest of these is love. There's so much rich text in those few verses, but the one that kept sticking in my mind was this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. I'm thinking about what I want to leave with you in concluding this idea of virtue is this. The Apostle Paul buries this in a larger context where he's talking about the issue of love, and it all makes sense in the way that it pulls out. But it's an interesting illustration that he brings in to demonstrate that we should not want what is imperfect, but the perfect will one day come, though we know in part one day we will know fully, just as we are fully known by God. But he drops this illustration, and it's a real-life illustration. It's an actual experiential illustration that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, drops into this text. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now I would say this. It's very interesting what is included here. It's also very interesting what is not included here. Because I think the Apostle Paul knew full well Jesus' teaching about having faith like a little child, He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. He doesn't say, I believed like a child, and I gave that up. He focuses instead on these things, his speech, his thoughts, and his reasoning. When it comes to this issue of virtue, we come and bring this all to a close. What I want you to think about this morning is the want to the want-to of the habitual life of virtue, both the cardinal virtues and the theological virtues, to actually challenge us to think about what do we want? Do we want to speak and to think and to reason and act like children? Or do we want to be mature? Do we want to know more fully, to think like adults, to reason like adults, do not be driven by the kind of fickle reasoning and conclusions that we see in children. I think about this a lot. I think about my work with kids. I think about my own kids. I think about children of other people that I know. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Child speaks without filter. Child says whatever they think, whatever they feel. And children say mean things. I think we look at this we think, the innocence of children Anybody who's worked in a church nursery knows the innocence of a child is a lie. Right? <laughs> children are mean. They say things that no one else would say to another human being. I've heard children say to people, who other, to children who take away their, their wrestling over a toy, and the one child prevails and rips the toy from another, Child's hand. I've heard a child in a church nursery, a Baptist church nursery, <laughs> say, you're ugly. <laughs> I've heard children say the most hurtful things. Why? Well, because when we're a child, we think like a child and we reason like a child, so we speak like a child. There's this great principle in psychology. It's called the ability to take the perspective of another. It's a developmental phenomenon. We don't, we don't have it as little children, right? Perspective taking is something that comes with time. You say to a child in a nursery, can you imagine how you would feel if you were Timmy? No, I don't care. I don't, I'm only worried about myself. It doesn't matter how Timmy feels. Put yourself in Timmy's shoes for a bit. There, it's a developmental reality. Little children don't do that. Little children can't grasp. How would you feel if you were the dog and you were hanging on, and he was hanging on your ears? They're not thinking about those things. Children only think about themselves. Paul's saying, when I was a child, I spoke like a child because I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. And this isn't to be confused with the beautiful images of childlike faith and Jesus calling the children unto him. But the Apostle Paul is driving at something here. That when it comes to love and it comes to wisdom and it comes to knowledge and it comes to character and it comes to virtue, we're to grow up. We're to grow up. We shouldn't speak like children, unfiltered and in hurtful ways, because we shouldn't be thinking like children only about ourselves. We shouldn't be reasoning like children only in terms of what we gain or what we lose. The Apostle Paul says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We know what this means for the Apostle Paul because we can read other places where we hear his own testimony about his being all things to all men. We know that the Apostle Paul is driving out here when he says he gave up childish things when he became a man because we know not only did he, be, did he strive to become all things to all men, but he was perfectly willing to be poured out as a drink offering to hold nothing in reserve, but to give it all over in the service of his Lord. The virtue and the selflessness, the wisdom and the temperance and the justice and the fortitude, the faith, hope, and love demonstrated in the Apostle Paul comes from his being matured in his faith, from that persecutor of the church to whom the Lord himself said, Why, why do you kick against the goads? To experience the grace and love and redemption of the Lord and be made new, the Apostle Paul moves on to maturity. we has spent a whole semester talking about very important character qualities. But we come to the end of the term, and my challenge to you is to think, what do you want from life? Do you want to go on speaking and thinking and reasoning like a child? Or do you want to be the man or woman of God that He intends you to be? And if you do, what will you need to lay aside in your faith and service to the Lord Jesus Christ to be brought along in maturity? That you would speak and think and reason and act with love, with faith, with hope, with wisdom and temperance and justice and fortitude. What will it take for you to be a person of that kind of habitual virtue and character? It will take the yielding of childish impulse and the desire to be mature. Always fascinating to me to read through the Gospels and watch the transformation that takes place in the life of the disciples from the very beginning to the conclusion. But not the conclusion of the Gospel. There's still a mess when Jesus is crucified and buried. There's still a relative mess after his resurrection. But when he ascends and his spirit comes to indwell them, They are those that turn the world upside down. They move from childhood to maturity in Jesus Christ as a work of God's Spirit in their lives. So it isn't just about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and deciding we want to be mature. It is yielding ourselves to this truth, that the God who made us has saved us and sustains us and has given us the indwelling of His Holy Spirit to be at work in us, to will and to do according to His good pleasure. May God give us the grace to soften our necks, to yield our minds and our hearts to his moving us from childish ways to maturity in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. We thank you for the things that you teach us, for the experiences that you allow us to have. We thank you for this semester and the freedom that we have to think on these things about virtue and character. Father, as we reflect, we ask that you would grant us wisdom beyond ourselves, that you would make us temperate in learning to go to the right length of things and no further, that you would give us a burden for justice, that you would empower us to be bold and courageous, to stick when things are hard, and to go in when things are risky. Father, we ask that you would make us people of faith and hope and love. But above all this, we pray that your Spirit would be at work in us to lead us from childish speech and reasoning and thinking and actions to the maturity that you expect from us as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would use everything that we experience to conform us more to his image pray that you would break us, that you would soften us, that you would shape us and mold us according to your will, and that you would make us always grateful for all the blessings we enjoy by your hand. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let's have a great week. Thanks.